0: you would please turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15, we're looking at the first 11 verses. Our focus this day will be verses 5 through 7. I do want to thank Jacob for filling the pulpit while I was gone, and Jeff Lee, Uh, I heard very good things, and uh, have not had an opportunity to sit down and listen to the sermons. Trust me, I will. Well, I am, <laughs> and uh, uh, why is that funny? <laughs> that makes me nervous now, uh, but anyway, um, I do appreciate the time uh, that you uh, committed and give to this church, um, but I'm glad I'm back, and I'm glad I'm not speaking through Misha. So, Anyway. Verses 1 through 11, let's read and ask the Lord to help us to see and to hear. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and which you also stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, lest you believe in vain. For I deliver to you as of first importance... What I also received, that Christ died for the sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried, and He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And He appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. And then He appeared to more than five hundred brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all... As to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labor more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me, whether it was I or they. So we preach. And so you believed. Father, help us to hear. Father, help us to know the importance of this teaching. Father, help us to know how valuable this is. Help us to stand in it as even these Corinthians stood in it. Help us to believe as even these Corinthians believed. And Father, help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear. To the King of kings and the Lord of lords in Christ's name. Amen. All right, I'm going to talk fast. You listen fast. I need to review quickly because so, I know you've had a couple of weeks off and everybody has forgot what we were talking about. It's funny. This is a very subject. I had uh, a young couple who, uh, well, they're not a couple. They were uh, a, 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 a young lady and a, and a guy who were attending the university, and they were Orthodox. In Russia, you're usually Orthodox, which is basically a Russian Catholic, only different. Um, I made that clear, didn't I? Um, And they were, I had met with the young lady two years ago when I spoke at the university and asked her if she would read the New Testament. I didn't get to see her in the fall. And I asked her if she would read the New Testament and if she had any questions, she could email me or ask Misha, my interpreter, and uh, we would discuss it. Well, I run into her this time and she comes to me very sheepishly and she looks at me and she says, uh, I didn't read the New Testament. I said, well, that's fine. Don't worry about it. She says, you're not mad? And I said, no, I ain't mad. And she says, but I did go ask my priest how to get to heaven. And I said, well, good. What did he say? And she gets this funny look on her face and she says, he said, if I don't murder anybody, I should go to heaven. And I looked at her and I said, so what do you think about that? And she says, that don't sound right. I said, I don't know, it sounds pretty good to me. I mean, if you just narrow it down, I don't have to kill nobody, then I can do anything else. I'm it. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> um, and uh, she said, but it don't sound right. And this guy that was with her, he, uh, uh, he says, it doesn't sound right. It don't make sense. And they looked at me and, they sa- and she said, the last time I talked to you, you were absolutely convinced that you were going to heaven. And she says, are you still? And I said, absolutely. And that bothered them. Okay. And they said, I do not know how you can be that sure. And I gave them the resurrection. That's how sure I can be. Why? He rose from the dead. Listen, he's not Messiah. If they crucify him, there were thousands and thousands and thousands of Jews who were crucified and it did not make him Messiah. They could not be, you cannot be an ethical man and a wondrous man and be Messiah. You can even do miracles and walk on water and raise the dead and things like that. That does not make you Messiah. If you do not have a bodily resurrection from the grave, you are not Messiah. And he had it. And that's what Paul is getting on here because there are groups in the church today as there was in Corinth who said, well, was it really bodily? Okay, I know people today, evangelical, they call themselves evangelical, conservative evangelicals that says when the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus after his baptism, he became Messiah and then the Holy Spirit left him on the cross. That's a life from the pit of hell. He's the son of God. He is God incarnate. Don't ever forget that. And how do I know that? Because God raised him from the dead. (laughs) You know, here's something I want you to think about. Jesus raised Lazarus, right? How depressing must that have been to have been Lazarus? Okay? Because you know what Lazarus had to do? He had to go die again. I mean, you know, once would be bad enough. <laughs> and then to be standing in paradise and somebody says, You got to go. Wait a minute, I got to go. <laughs> yeah, you got to go back down to earth. Your sisters want you. My sisters? <laughs> I don't even like my sisters. <laughs> but he still had to die. Jesus got out of the grave and ascended to the right hand of the Father. He stands and makes intercessions an for you and I to this very day. And Paul says, I want to explain to you how simple this text is. Because you need to understand something. This is the oldest text that we have concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want to make known to you the gospel which I preached to you. I preached this to you. Here is the fact. He says, the fact that you are a church is proof of the resurrection. He says, because you stand, I preached this on this, you received this and you stand on it. Stand on it is perfect tense. All right, you took a stand, you continue in a continuance of the manifestation of your faith that you believe that Jesus Christ had a bodily resurrection from the grave. And the fact that you exist is proof of a physical resurrection. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 38 says, the righteous shall live by faith. James chapter 1 verse 22 says, be doers Not only hearers of the word. Why? Because in the power of the resurrection is what you and I live in. We live in that. And you know what? It bugs the stew out of me to watch the church by marketing. And when they have the power of the resurrection. I don't understand that. I don't need demographics. I mean, that's what I like about going to Russia. When I walk into Russia, they know what they're going to get from me. The Bible. And you know what? It doesn't matter whether they're Ukrainian, whether they're Belarus, whether they're Russian. It don't matter. I don't care if you got a Slavic background. I don't care if you got a German background. Guess what? My Bible cuts through all of it. I like that. I like that because I used the illustration of a Corvette there and that did not work. They had no idea what a Corvette was. You know, they all looked at me like, oh, never mind. Wrong illustration, wrong group. But when I give the word, it worked well. Listen, this group of people, remember chapter six, verse 10 of this, they were homosexuals. They were thieves. They were murderers. They were adulterous fornicators, slaves. And you know what they were now? A church. A church. And you don't take that group of people, change their hearts, and all of a sudden they walk in the righteousness of Jesus Christ and faith of resurrection unless there is a resurrection. 2,000 years better better than 2,000 years now, skeptics all over the world have done their best to disprove the resurrection and they have never been able to do it. Why? I am living proof of the resurrection. The longer we live, the greater the evidence. We are living evidence. I want you to think about that. The body of Christ that exists today. Now listen, I'm not talking about everything that's going on today in the world as the church. Please. I'm talking about the people that you see living anointed lives in the power of the resurrected Jesus Christ. You know what? I look at all the religions of man, all the religious founders of all of those religions have died and they all have one thing in common. They're all in the grave except Jesus. Muhammad's in the grave. They have this great big party at his tomb. Buddha's in the grave. Now he's got a kind of got a trip. They got a party that goes on there, but it's a tree. How would you like to have that go on? They buried me in a tree grew up, but he's underneath the tree. But you look at all of them. They're all there. All the religious founders have died and are in the grave except for one. And he is not in the grave. Moses died. He's still in the grave. Okay, the second thing that he gives us is that it was according to the scriptures. Verses 3 and 4. I delivered to you according to the scriptures. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Okay, listen, I'm just going to go through these. This is just review. Psalm 22 speaks of it. Isaiah 53 speaks of it. Isaiah 26 speaks of it. Genesis 22 speaks of it. Zechariah 11 speaks of it. Psalm 16 speaks of it. Psalms 49, 15 speaks of it. Psalm 73, 24 speaks of it. Daniel 12, 12 speaks of it. Hosea 6, 2 speaks of it. The whole book of Jonah speaks of it. Do I need to go on? This wasn't a new phenomenon. I hear people describe it as a soul sleep. When a Christian dies, they go into a soul sleep. And then you wake up in divinity land. No. You know, you don't end up in a happy hunting ground. I've heard people describe it as a termination, back to dust. You cease to exist. No. Um, I call it recycling. Some people call it reincarnation. No. No. Well, I remember doing it. I remember doing a lot of things too, and I don't like to think about it. Um, surrounding the Corinthians and the Buddhists and the Hindus today is what is called absorption, that you are a little spark of divine matter, and when you die, your little spark goes back into the divine matter. That's one of those wake up in divinity land. Um, one of the Buddhists said this, You know, I I had dealings with a Buddhist in Russia this last trip. That was exciting. Um, This is a quote from one of their shamans. Quote, Would it really matter if I were lost like a drop of water in the ocean, if I could be one of the shining particles in a glorious wave that broke in utter splendor and in perfect beauty on the shores of some eternal shore? Hey, what is that? You know what? God says we are as individuals as the stars. We ain't some little dribble. I'm not just a drop in the great ocean of divine pleasure. The Bible says the soul of man is eternal. The Bible says that the body of man is going to be redone. We are unique we will be forever. 1 John 3 says, we will be like him. Okay? That's what the scripture says. Now it brings me to the next point, um, verses 5 through 7. He appeared to Cephas, then to the 12, then he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time. Most of them remain till now, but a few have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. Stop right there. Eyewitnesses, Cephas, the apostles, 500, and James. Now, let me ask you a question. Um, I have read and have some experience with human courts. And you know one of the things I've learned about human courts? They love eyewitnesses, especially eyewitnesses with integrity. Okay, so Paul is saying, in case you're questioning the bodily resurrection of Christ, let me tell you of over 500 who've seen him. Okay, Charles Hodge says this quote: "This is the best authenticated event in ancient history." Unquote. What is the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Now, let me ask, do. You understand what I'm talking about here? I'm talking about a body that died and then got up. It was a real death. Do you understand what I'm saying? Has anybody seen that? I ain't never seen one. I hung out on ambulances for a little while. Uh, You can look and see when a person's getting ready to die. If you look in their eyes, there's no doubt in your mind that... Not only is the fat lady singing, I think she just walked off the stage, okay? And you can see it come. I mean, you watch it come. Uh, My wife is a nurse. She will tell you that there comes a point when the little meter says flatline, and it don't care no more, and it doesn't care what you do, and it says you're done. And yet, I want you to look at a key word here. Verse 5, and he appeared. You know something that's amazing about the resurrected Christ? He's never seen by anyone that he did not want to reveal himself to. Mary Magdalene thought he was a gardener. Two guys on the road to Emmaus had been with him for three years. And they sat down and discussed the scriptures together on how the Messiah was supposed to suffer and die. And then he did what? He revealed himself. John 21, he appears on the shore. No one understood who he was. And then they got over there and he revealed himself. No one saw Jesus as Jesus until he revealed who he was. And he selected who he revealed himself to. And yet Paul here gives us the oldest list. Okay. He uses the first person here. He appeared to Cephas. Cephas is an Arabic word. You know what it means? Rock. You know what the Greek word for rock is? Peter. So people say, well, that wasn't really Peter. Oh, okay. Okay. It was the other Peter. Okay? You see that in Luke chapter 24 verse 31. He was seen by Simon Peter. Right out of the grave, he went right to Peter. Why? Who denied him? Peter did. There's an emphasis on seeking out Peter on God on Christ's grace, his love and his forgiveness. And you know what? I am tickled to death that he picks up the unworthy. I like that. Peter was strategic. He used the crooked as well as the straight. Listen, I think about Peter on a regular basis. Peter had denied him. But do you know what Peter did immediately after he denied him the third time? Immediately after he denied him the third time. He wept bitterly. Luke tells us that at the third time, when he denied him the third time, I never knew him. They were bringing him from Caiaphas back across the courtyard to Annas, and he denied the third time. The rooster crowed and Jesus looked him right in the eye. That would have had to been a moment. Peter had a broken heart. He had denied him. Now here's what's key to this. Not only did he deny him, he was warned twice that he was going to. He says, "Peter, Simon Peter, Satan has asked to sift you. I, as Satan has asked to toss you up in the air and see what blows off." And you told him no. No, he says, I prayed for you. And then here's the warning. When you forsake, you will come back and be able to strengthen the brethren. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I tell you before the cock crows, three times you will deny me. What is that conversation? Will you leave me? All will forsake you. You can even kill me and I will never deny you. And Jesus looks him in the eye and says, I tell you before the cock crows three times, you will deny me. He had two warnings. You've got two warnings. You're going to deny me. You might want to get prayed up, brother. He was warned and now he is dead and he could never make it right. That's what Peter's doing for three days. Now listen, I don't know about this meeting. The scripture is absolutely silent about this meeting. (laughs) Peter is eyewitness number one. He is unquestionably the leader of the twelve. He has the greatest ministry in the first twelve chapters of the book of Acts. His ministry has the greatest impact. And he picked the prime witness with the most the most credible Peter believed, and he saw him. How to think about this? It is just shortly thereafter. He goes be, less than two months. He goes before the Sanhedrin, and the ones who murdered Jesus, and he calls them a bunch of murderers. This is the guy that when Jesus is alive, will not fight for him, and denies him, and runs and hides. Two months later, he stands before the very people who murdered Jesus, and says, you murdered him. Now, what makes a man change that way? A bodily, physical resurrection. Post-resurrection, Peter's powerful. Peter's powerful. Then it says, then to the twelve, the same day. um, John chapter 20 verse 19 says, Then it being night, they were huddled together in the upper room. Who? Who? The 12 That's what they were called. That was what their title was. You see it throughout the gospel record. It was the 12. And then he had loudmouth Peter, but he was the 12. They're huddled together in the upper room, wondering when they're going to be arrested. And then it says, he appeared and says, peace be with you. And it says they were afraid. Duh. Their official title. Luke chapter 24 also records this. He met with his disciples. This was the intimate 12. Uh, they had put Matthias in to take Judas Iscariot's place. And Judas, Isca- or, uh, Judas had been replaced by Matthias, but Matthias was a witness of the resurrection. But Matthias has also been with them for three years and seen his miracles. He met with them there. These are the ones who were intimate with him. These are the ones that understood him, had seen him, had been with him for three years. Now these testify. Now the apostles who would be writing the theology of the church, the church that was born out of Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to breaking bread and to prayer the birth of the church. They studied what the apostles had taught. They were the bottom line. They gave the revelation of God on this mystery age, that time between the 69th and 70th week of Daniel, this mystery that Paul speaks about in his New Testament writings, where Jew and Gentile shall be together as one. Peter was the primary, and the rest of the 12, they saw the living Christ. Now let me tell you something. Right there is evidence of a bodily resurrection. You have competent, intelligent witnesses. And you know what? Jewish law says you only need two. You only need two. But look what he says in verse 6. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time. At the same time. But you know what? Some of them have died. Listen, you have the character of the first group. These were the ones who were with him for three years. Now you've got 500 who've seen him. Okay, so you have the character of the first group, and now you've got the numbers of the second group. You have a quality of witnesses in the first group, and now you've got a quantity of witnesses. Where did this happen? Where did you see the 500? Well, some people say Jerusalem. I don't think so. Acts chapter 1 says there was only 120 there when the church was born. Perhaps Galilee, Matthew indicates that he would go up to Galilee wherever it was, somewhere Jesus appeared to five hundred people at one shot. Now listen, that's a whole lot of witnesses. If you're in a court of law and you start strolling in five hundred witnesses to something, I'm thinking at about two hundred, you're going to get okay, okay. You know, it's funny. I was looking at the Old Testament law. The Old Testament law says out of the mouth of two or three. And yet, he, God had 497 extra. He always kind of goes overboard. You ever notice that? The majority are still alive. So you see God in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ give a quality of witness, but he also gives a quantity of witness. Then he adds this. Then he appeared to James. Oh, who is this James and why is this added? Okay, it's easy. Well, do you think it's the son of Alphaeus or the son of Zebedee? And I say, no, it's neither one. Why? Those two are classified as apostles. Okay. So who is this? Well, it's the author of that little letter, James. He's the first pastor of the church in Jerusalem, the first church. You know his father and mother, Joseph and Mary. You also know his half-brother, Jesus. Okay? The importance of this witness is an importance of a different kind. Mark this down. I'll just give it to you. John chapter 7, verse 5 it said that his brothers did not believe in him. Okay? Now you have here the testimony of his own brother who was for his earthly ministry an unbeliever. A witness right out of the family. If you have ever been in... Let's say in your family as an unbeliever, I mean, your family was unbelieving and all of a sudden you become a believer, it is a little tough, isn't it? To get them old boneheads to listen. Because they think it's a racket. I've got people who have been watching me now for 25 years expecting me to stumble. And Jesus claimed to be Messiah, which I don't claim to be Messiah. But I, Jesus claimed to be Messiah, and they looked around and said, Our big brother's lost his blooming mind. You have a skeptic. Not only do you have a skeptic, you have a skeptic that was in his family, his earthly family. And yet now you have this skeptic in his earthly family who has totally been changed. He is now a believer in what? The resurrection. Now that's hard to do. Do You know, my big brother got up out of the grave. Okay. Not only that, it's kind of spooky. He ascended to the right hand of God. Okay. You know, don't agitate him. Walk away slowly. Listen. James didn't believe Jesus was who he claimed when he was alive. And you know what? Maybe when your brother is murdered, eh, you got a little remorse. Yeah, you know, I kind of poked fun at him said he lost his mind. Knowing the circumstances. Hey, maybe knowing the circumstances of Jesus' murder, maybe he kind of admired him. But Jesus wanted a witness out of his own family. See, the world could believe in the resurrection from the dead. But if your own family doesn't, I'm thinking it don't hold as much value. So it says he appeared to James. And guess what? James believed. James 1.1. 1, 1. Here's a key phrase I want you to think about. James 1.1. 1, 1. James, a doulos of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, you know what? We translate that servant. You know what that word means? Slave. You ever seen sibling rivalry? How many little brothers say, I am a slave to my big brother? Right. (laughs) Because listen, we translate it servant and it doesn't mean servant. A servant can quit. Okay. A slave can't. Please understand that. That's that's one of the tragedies, I believe, that is being preached today. James is saying, I am a slave to Jesus Christ. You know what that is, right? I don't care how anybody says, that there is a big change. I mean, it's one thing to say, I don't believe he's Messiah. It's another thing to come back and say, not only do I believe he's Messiah, I want you to know I, his little brother, am a slave to him. So you got eyewitnesses. you got a quality of men, the original 12. you got a quantity in the crowd, and now you've got a skeptic, not just any skeptic. This is a great skeptic. This is right out of Jesus' own earthly family. An unbeliever transformed by the resurrection work. He watched Jesus' life. He growed up with him. Mom always loved him more. Dad never punished him for nothing. He never did anything wrong. Then he makes at the end of verse 7. He says, he appeared also to the apostles. Again, okay, Acts chapter 1 verse 3. <clears throat> he presented himself alive after his sufferings by many convincing proofs appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of things concerning the kingdom of God. He hung out with them. For 40 days. Speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So you have three different occasions as a group of the apostles that Jesus, the resurrection, showed up to him. So you have witnesses there. Even a skeptic. There is a a lawyer who's the head of history and law at Oxford, England. This lawyer's comment was this. His name is Anderson. Quote, to remove the evidence. As a fabrication or pure lies, not one critic can. And it's an impossible position to assume, unquote. It is impossible for the critics to say the resurrection is a lie because you've got an unbeliever who grew up in his family who said he was raised from the dead. You've got 500 witnesses at one time who said he was raised from the dead. And you've got the men who were with him for three years who said he was raised from the dead. He said a critic would take an impossible position to deny the resurrection. I mean, basis of the number of witnesses, the character of the witnesses. They gave the world the highest, the witnesses gave the world the highest ethical teaching and the testimony of their enemies is that they live by what they taught. How do you do that? by the resurrection. I was thinking about this after I had met with this, um, these people in L'Oreal, Russia. And I wrote this down and I wanted to share it with you. And this is sort of how I summarize what you have right at this point in eyewitnesses of the resurrected Jesus Christ. And I, you just better think about this. A band of defeated cowards hiding in an upper room a few, day late, few days later transformed into a company that no persecution could silence and you want to tell me they did that by making up a lie and convincing themselves no No. Bodily resurrection of Christ. You have the testimony of the church. You have the testimony of scripture. And you have the testimony of eyewitnesses. It is real. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the resurrection. Father, you sealed Messiah. You gave us the Christ. And you gave it. You gave us him for our sins. Thank you. Thank you so much. And Father, may we receive this. May we stand on this. To your glory and praise. Amen.